America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It certainly is great in terms of consequential, in terms of big, in terms of important. Uh, the brink of war. Are we at the brink of war? Well, never mind. You don't have to worry because Kamala Harris is on the job. Now, this may be truly troubling. Uh, Vice President Harris will get a new opportunity to burnish her foreign policy credentials when she attends the Munich Security Conference this week. Okay, at the edge of war, you hear Munich Conference. I'm thinking November of, uh, pardon me, of September of uh, 19, November of 1938. It, it is November of 1930, September of 1939 was World War. Uh, the Munich Conference didn't work out. And when you look at Kamala Harris, she has been sent to fix some of the most difficult assignments for the administration and been a complete bust at all of them. Uh, the uh, fact that she is being sent on the job is concerning. More encouraging, a report from the AFP, it's a French news agency, Russia held the door open today, Valentine's Day, to uh, further talks on resolving its standoff with the West and said some of its military drills were ending, signaling a possible easing of the crisis over Ukraine. And that happening at the same time that the John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, just told the press in the Pentagon that the information of the U.S. military is that Putin strikes on Wednesday. What does it all mean? We'll be talking about that with a, um, a Russian-born uh, defense analyst who is... Uh, offers an extremely disturbing prospect, which is that Putin may be ready to perform the uh, Russian version of Desert Storm. What does that mean? We will get into all of that in some depth here on the Medved Show. We'll also be talking about problems closer to home. Uh, right now, the Canadian truckers uh, seem to have... Uh, made peace, avoided mass imprisonment, uh, avoided having all of the trucks actually tore, towed away. I, mean, I wonder what the fine is on something like that. They were talking about a $100,000 fine in uh, Canadian dollars, which is still, it's not as much as American dollars, but it's a, a great deal of money. Uh, we will be talking about that, about the... Uh, Freedom Convoy equivalent in New Zealand, and maybe, maybe here in the United States. Anybody think that's a good idea? 1-800-955-1776. We will get to that as well. We will also be speaking with uh, Juan Williams, who is actually talking about the Republican Party feud and the inside of the Republican Party feud and what it means in terms of the prospects for this upcoming election. What will the election signify? Remember, this is one that Republicans are supposed to win. The historical pattern is that the party out of power gains seats in the first midterm election of a new presidency, and certainly a presidency has struggled as much as uh, uh, Joe Biden has. 
But we will be dealing with that and also be talking to Charles Lipson, who is a, a very brilliant and insightful analyst who talks about the tremendous missed opportunity that Joe Biden had recently when he went to New York to talk with Eric Adams about crime and how, honest to goodness, Joe Biden could learn a great deal of successful politics and maybe even something about leadership by looking back at some of the performance of uh, his Democratic predecessor, no, not Barack Obama, Bill Clinton. A 1-800-955-1776, our phone number. And also we may take uh, a look about the, uh, the cosmic significance uh, if any, you may see some. I I can discern a little bit from some of the Super Bowl ads. And yes, congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams and to all of the uh, fans for, well, what basically was an incredibly exciting a Super Bowl that lived up to some of the excitement that was there at the playoffs this year. A, a good day, most people I think would agree, for the National Football League. Okay, what about a, uh, a good day for the world, which is uh, just perched on the verge of war? There's a, a profound and important uh, editorial that appeared today, this morning, in the Wall Street Journal. And it's under the heading, The New World Disorder. Of course, a pun on the fact that uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the first President Bush, talked about the New World Order, that he did help to bring about a world order in which uh, the communist empire, the old evil empire that his predecessor Ronald Reagan had talked about, had collapsed. And the United States was the sole superpower and totally dominant around the world. And that lasted, that lasted actually for about 10 years. But now, uh, advancing technology and its proliferation, writes the Wall Street Journal, puts Americans at risk at home and abroad. The cyber attack on the colonial pipeline last year was a modest show of the damage a foreign actor can inflict on the U.S. homeland. Hypersonic and anti-satellite weapons could take out U.S. defenses around the world in minutes and with little or no warning. Imagine a high-tech Pearl Harbor. The last three presidents have felt the desire and fed the desire on the left and on the right to come home, America. That's a reference to the slogan for the absolutely disastrous McGovern campaign. In 1972, when George McGovern was running as an anti-war, anti-Vietnam candidate, his slogan was, Come Home, America. And there are people who believe that today, that we shouldn't be paying attention to Ukraine or China or Taiwan or any of it. We should be focused on what we're dealing with here at home. President Trump said over the weekend... He said, I don't think we should be worried about trying to stop another country from uh, invading somewhere else. We need to stop the invasion of our own country, meaning uh, unauthorized immigrants. Uh, is, does that one preclude the other, or does heightened national security involve both? And heightened national security is needed. 
The journal points out Barack Obama responded meekly to Mr. Putin's uh, advances and to Beijing's in the South China Sea. Donald Trump struck a stronger pose and he increased defense spending. But he also fed the illusion that the U.S. could retreat from the world and remain safe. Mr. Biden mostly ignored the world in the 2020 campaign, and his botched withdrawal from Afghanistan has convinced adversaries that, and even many allies, that the U.S. is in retreat. But uh, reality eventually bites. And now it is uh, doing so on Mr. Biden's watch. Presidents have to respond to the world as it is, not as their campaign promises wanted it to be. The question is whether Biden will meet the moment as his predecessors did or let the disorder spread. The spread of aggression and disorder threaten American freedom and prosperity. No one is about to invade the homeland, but cyber attacks could cripple chunks of the economy. Allies that have long been at our side could turn away and appease the new rogues. U.S. economic interests will be at risk. So what happens next? We'll be talking about that coming up uh, with a security expert from Russia, Ukraine. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. What a guy. Is a decent, honorable man. Michael Medved. That man has more integrity in his little finger than most people have in their whole body. 1 800 955 1776. The Michael Medved Show. Introducing. The New World Disorder asks the uh, Wall Street Journal in their editorial today, breaking news from Politico, Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, announced just moments ago that the State Department had begun temporarily relocating the operations of the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine from the capital of Kiev to the city of Lviv in uh, the western part of the country. Uh, Lviv is also Lvov, it's also Lemberg, it's uh, in this part of the world, and if you look at the history of Ukraine, and all of the cities there, it's a very old history. Uh, Kiev was a big capital city before Moscow was, and uh, that's, again, part of the background to this terrible, terrible situation. Uh, they're talking about civilian casualties that could be and, and probably would be over 50,000 if the Russians proceed with, uh, with what they're contemplating. And if, as um, Anna Borchevskaya, who is going to be joining us a little bit later, is right that they are planning the equivalent of a desert storm, it could be just devastating. And she believes uh, that the that the Russians have the capability of doing it. And part of what is necessary in terms of uh, Biden's response, I mean, look, I, I do agree with, I think, what most people who have looked at the 
way the administration has handled it so far, constantly warning people that war may be imminent, uh, be, and this is not a fake. This is not like the Gulf of Tonkin or anything like that. This is not an excuse for going to war. The United States is not going to war. The president's made it very clear. We are not going to send boots on the ground into Ukraine. But uh, what has been very clear is, and it should be, that this is not two nations sort of approaching like colliding freight trains going in opposite directions. No, this is a Vladimir Putin war. The entire thing is up to him, whether to go to war or to attempt some kind of diplomacy. There are some hints today that uh, diplomacy may be getting a second gasp. The, um, the Wall Street Journal says that Mr. Biden will have to shift the focus of his presidency away from expanding the domestic welfare state to improving national security. Does it sound like the right idea? Of course it's the right idea. And it's deeply necessary. It's so that we can all sleep at night because the damage to everything, to our economy, to the future of our economy, to savings that people have, to the survival of basic services in the United States, all of that depends upon how disastrous and destructive and nightmarish this encounter becomes because it has that capacity. No one is expecting a nuclear exchange, but let people not forget. Uh, I believe that when it comes to the number of nuclear weapons, not their quality, because the American weapons are more technologically advanced and, and more formidable, but there are so many Russian weapons. And the fact that they're not particularly accurate or or advanced technologically most of them though some of their hypersonic weapons are supposed to be uh, absolutely cutting edge in any event it's it's all incredibly scary and and a very very real problem so what do you do about it he uh, the Wall Street Journal says that uh, he must shift the uh, the uh, focus of his presidency away from expanding the domestic welfare state to Im, uh, improving national security his defense budget requests will have to increase substantially. His assault on uh, U.S. energy production, an act of strategic and economic masochism, will have to end. He will also have to do much more to unite the country. This means dropping his partisan approach to governing and the polarizing divisions of identity politics he won the presidency on a theme of national unity. And he has no hope of doing it if his administration is dividing the country by race, gender, and class. And by the way, and, and by partisan politics. Because the one thing that America has had a remarkable record of, and it goes back to uh, Franklin Roosevelt's leadership in World War II, is that at a time of crisis when the nation itself is in danger, you put the partisan differences and the games and the back and forth, you put it aside. Above all, Mr. Biden will need to build bipartisanship, writes the Wall Street Journal editorial board, 
bipartisan alliances on national security as FDR and Harry Truman did at other hinge points in history. Isolationist forces always emerge when the world becomes more dangerous in the hope the U.S. can hide behind a fortress America. Mr. Biden will need to find allies in both parties to defeat that siren call. In 1940, Roosevelt named Republicans Henry Stimson, former Republican Secretary of State, named him Secretary of War, and Frank Knox, Secretary of the Navy, another Republican who had just run for vice president and lost. They began to rebuild U.S. defenses in anticipation that the country could be pulled into the conflicts then raging in Europe and Asia. Truman worked with Senator Arthur Vandenberg, the once isolationist GOP senator, to build NATO and fight the Cold War against communism. Mr. Biden should bring GOP hawks into the senior ranks of his administration to get better advice and underscore the dangers ahead. None of this will be easy in our divided politics, and there are those who believe Mr. Biden is too weak and too spent to do it. But you cope with disorder and deter war with the president you have. Mr. Biden has three years left in his term, and the world's rogues won't wait until 2024 for the U.S. to get its act together. Look, I think that's powerful, and I think that's right. And uh, it's, it's also extraordinarily important to understand what kind of war Putin may be planning. Uh, Anna Borchevskaya, uh, Borchevskaya who is a senior fellow at the uh, Washington Institute program on great power competition and the Middle East. Uh, she focuses on Russia's policy toward the Middle East, but she has written a very persuasive piece about what this war might look like and what it won't look like. We'll be speaking to Anna Borchevskaya coming right up. and. Uh, we also should be getting sometime today some news on the Sarah Palin verdict, which is potentially a very important issue of freedom of expression and the press. We'll be right back on the Med. On the Michael Medved Show... Uh, the term desert storm, does that ring any bells for people? Uh, that was a uh, very, very successful U.S. military operation. There's now evidence, says Anna Borchevskaya, that uh, Putin is one of those people who took some lessons from desert storm back in 1991. That was, uh, remember General Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf? And uh, General Powell, of course, deserves some of the credit as an overall military mind. And uh, President George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, what was it about Desert Storm that changed the whole nature of warfare? Anna Borchevskaya is a senior fellow in the Washington Institute. Uh, she has written a 2021 book, Putin's War in Syria, 
a Russian foreign policy and the price of America's absence. And uh, she's also uh, done a monograph in 2016, Russia in the Middle East. She holds her doctorate from George Mason University. Dr. Borchevskaya, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I wish the circumstances were different. Uh, do you, first of all, do you think there's any realistic chance of avoiding a uh, full-out war at this late point? Well, uh, I, I do think it's possible. For, I mean, first of all, um, I, it seems that uh, what uh, Putin is trying to do is. Um, rather than have a full-out, complete war, uh, try to carry out a limited incursion. And that's what, in many ways, that's what Desert Storm was about. Uh, the reason why Desert Storm was so successful, uh, it was really a game-changer, is because uh, it was, it, it was a, uh, first of all, it was a coalition. Uh, in here, that's something Putin does not have. But that being said, uh, it was uh, a very low-casualty, mainly aerial operation. Uh, through sort of cyber air and missile strikes that basically uh, left the uh, the Iraqi army uh, uh, annihilated. Um, what you're seeing happening now with Putin is uh, trying uh, uh, to, um, again, assemble aerial um, aerial forces, aerial operations. You're seeing the S-400s coming in and, and so forth. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, I, you know, the question in everybody's mind, of course, is what's in Putin's head, and nobody knows. Uh, but it looks very serious. It uh, looks like the two eastern uh, provinces or the districts, or they, they're even calling them uh, socialist republics uh, now, some people in the uh, Russian press apparently. Uh, is it uh, uh, the kind of limited strike that you had in Desert Storm where basically we took Kuwait then went home. Uh, is it possible that Putin would try to do something like that with Donbass and Donetsk and uh, and then go home, take those chunks of uh, Ukraine to add to Crimea? Uh, that is indeed one uh, one possibility, because keep, keep, uh, keep in mind, at this stage, Ukraine is surrounded on three fronts. Um, and uh, Putin... Um, uh, I, I do think even he understands that um, fighting a serious insurgency would be costly. In fact, the way um, he, he's messaged this domestically is uh, precisely mere, mere opposite of what's actually happening, and that is that the West is pushing Russia towards a war that it does not want to fight. Um, so uh, what, what would make more sense from the Kremlin's perspective is rather than occupy all of Ukraine, simply take out certain strategic pieces that would ultimately render Ukraine economically inviable. That's a limited operation, but it's, but it's just as deadly. Does he, does he have any uh, allies? You talk about coalitions in Desert Storm, other than Belarus, which is uh, like a puppet republic. Is there, right. is there any other ally that is uh, supporting Putin in this? Not um, not in the, certainly not in the same way that Desert Storm was, and that that perhaps is the critical, the one key difference um, that the United States was and remains, frankly, the only uh, country in the world that is able to assemble such a coalition. Uh, you are seeing at least rhetorical support uh, from Chinese President Xi Jinping, um, uh, but uh, certainly when it comes to military action here, Russia is mostly acting alone. Now, in Belarus, keep in mind too, Belarus 
ultimately never wanted to be part of Russia. What's happening here is that um, dictator uh, Alexander Lukashenko, who, who uh, basically now owes his survival to Putin and has very little choice, but Belarusians themselves also do not want to be part of Russia. Uh, and uh, what about the possibility, and, and I know that there are serious people have talked about this, that the Un Ukrainians, uh, having upgraded their military at the same time Russia upgraded its military very substantially, may inflict a much higher cost on Putin than, than he expects. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely the case. The Ukrainian military is in a much stronger position than it was in 2014. Um, and uh, and keep in mind, too, in 2014, Putin took Crimea uh, sort of stealthily, uh, taking advantage of disarray in Ukrainian politics through deniability and so forth. But now this is the first time when he's full, uh, amassing troops uh, for all the world to see without any shame. Um, that said, uh, even so, the Russian military is far superior in numbers, and it will overwhelm the Ukrainian military uh, unless we provide them with uh, crucial support, such as the ability to have reinforcements uh, once, uh, once Russian forces envelope them. And that's what happened in Desert Storm. Ultimately, uh, coalition forces enveloped, it, it provided this envelopment. Um, you're, you're seeing something very similar with Ukraine. Um, it, uh, so Ukrainians will fight, no doubt. Um, they know exactly what they're fighting for. They know what the stakes are, but they need they need our help. Without our help, they will be uh, they will be uh, eliminated. Where would those reinforcements come from? Do you think that that Poland or the Baltic republics would actually send some reinforcements of their own troops? Well, they should come from all. Uh, they should come from certainly these parts as well. Romania also. Um, it is unfortunate that President Biden said publicly that the United States will not be sending uh, troops that, uh, that will, to Ukraine. That was uh, a very bad move. Um, but um, but they should come from any from all Western uh, forces uh, uh, that uh, that are able to help. That's uh, you say it was a bad move on the president's part, not just for the idea that it, it just rules out one of the key options. It's that it, it basically key up, uh, rules out the danger for Putin, the cost for his, potential cost for his invasion. That's exactly right. And especially because if you think at, look at what's happening uh, in Ukraine, Russia is violating Ukrainian sovereignty. Uh, Russia has violated pre-existing uh, treaty obligations that it had towards the Ukrainian state. In a situation like this, Ukraine has every right to ask for help, legally. Well, we we shall see. Uh, uh, do you suspect that the uh, the date of Wednesday, being the attack date, which has been hinted at by our own Defense Department, is likely to hold fast? Well, I don't have any more information than our <laughs> Defense Department, <laughs> uh, and uh, certainly that it, that is something the day to watch. I mean, it's it's quite astonishing that earlier. Uh, we were looking at February 20th, which is the end of uh, the, the, the Beijing Olympics, but indeed now the assessment um, is moving the date uh, even closer. Well, it may upstage some of the disappointments from the Russian Olympic team. Uh, on Dr. Bondashevskaya, it is a um, uh, pleasure to... Borchevskaya, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Anna Borchevskaya is uh, a, a scholar with a deep background on all of the issues we're describing and uh, she 
will be obviously, I hope, joining us again to comment on some of these military in events as they unfold, a senior fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. When we come back, there's one nation actually far away from Ukraine that is also talking about actually going into Ukraine to rescue people. One nation, we will tell you about it coming up on the Medved Show. Medved Show, uh, our number, 1-800-955-1776. If uh, you have any comments about this critical moment in U.S. foreign policy, there's a um, powerful and somewhat disturbing uh, opinion piece that uh, appeared in the uh, Wall Street Journal and it's by Elbridge Colby and Oriana Schuyler Mastro. And the headline is, uh, Ukraine is a distraction from Taiwan. And the point they make that uh, is that uh, getting bogged down in Europe will only impede the U.S.'s ability to compete with China in the Pacific. And, and they contrast, as many people have, uh, the fact that, that Russia... Uh, it, it's a an enhanced military power. They've spent a lot of money on beefing up their military recently, but it is still a, a, a weak economy. It is not considered to be a world-class military by any means. And China is, and, and on both counts. And China uh, may be brooding for Putin on all of this because it distracts attention from their aims, which uh, very publicly include uh, absorbing the crucial nation of Taiwan. And the same way that Ukraine is a formidable nation, it's 40 million people, it's the biggest nation in land area in Europe, aside from Russia, if you count the parts of Europe that Russia controls. Uh, in any event, the uh, point of view of uh, Colby and uh, Mastro in the Wall Street Journal, they say the U.S. should retain committed uh, to NATO's defense, but husband its critical resources for the primary fight in Asia and uh, Taiwan in particular. Uh, denying China the ability to dominate Asia is far more important than anything that happens in Europe. To be blunt, uh, Taiwan is more important than Ukraine. America's European allies are in a better position to take uh, to uh, take on Russia than America's Asian allies are to deal with China. The Chinese can't be allowed to think that America's domination a distraction in Ukraine provides them with a a window of opportunity to invade Taiwan, the U.S. needs to act accordingly. 
uh, crisis or not. Now, uh, their basic point being that uh, the Europeans should, with uh, very formidable military resources in Germany, in France, in the United Kingdom, uh, to some extent in Italy, that uh, there are other forces that should be able to counteract the Russians in Europe. But in terms of Asia, uh, we have prevented, really, the Japanese from building up their military, which would be a natural ally with us. Australia has a more formidable military than before. Uh, South Korea it preoccupied just with the dangers of North Korea right at the border. So we have nothing comparable to NATO that uh, could really encounter China while the United States was distracted elsewhere. And their problem is if we're going to be distracted elsewhere, we should be, our focus should be in Asia. And the truth of the matter is for years and years and years, it was U.S. policy to uh, have a, a be ready on both fronts, which is one of the reasons that with a, a nation with a big sea coast on the Atlantic and uh, the Gulf of Mexico and, and on the Pacific, we had to be prepared in both directions. Now, speaking about being prepared, there's a piece that appeared over the weekend in the Washington Post, and uh, it highlights that Israel, which uh, has its own hands full dealing with its own defense, but also has very formidable resources and built up to do that. Israel, which is a country of nine million, uh, Israeli officials and relief groups are readying plans to help Ukraine's Jewish community in the event of an all-out war between Ukraine and Russia, according to individuals familiar with the process. The officials and agencies are gaming out contingencies that include managing a new wave of immigrants coming to Israel and aiding displaced Jews in Ukraine as uh, they did in 2014 when Russian forces annexed Crimea from Ukraine and Russian-backed separatists began a conflict in eastern Ukraine. In a worst-case scenario, the plans could mean directly evacuating thousands of refugees. Privately, Israeli officials make clear they don't expect the nationwide chaos that would require a mass airlift, but Israel would be ready to act if needed, they said as the country has done in other hotspots. Uh, over 36 hours in May of 1991, Israeli Air Force and uh, requisitioned El Al jumbo jets flew more than 14,000 Ethiopians from war-torn Addis Ababa, uh, an operation overseen by the defense minister at the moment, whose name is Benny Gantz. We're prepared for all scenarios, said uh, Panina Tama, uh, Tamano Shata, who is Israel's Minister of Immigration and Absorption. The branch of government in charge of easing the arrival of Jews from around the world, according to the Israeli news outlet Ynet. As many as 100,000 Jews live now in Ukraine, according to uh, Yael Branovsky of the International Fellowship of Christian and Jews, which is one of the charitable agencies that is uh, on, on alert for this. Look, there is a great deal of Jewish history, and there are 
there are certainly uh, prominent members of the Israeli cabinet uh, whose uh, grandparents, sometimes parents, uh, are from Ukraine. And because that was one of the centers of Jewish population of the world before the Holocaust. And it's one of those things with all of this uh, trouble in the news. You know, I, I think about this. My dad made it to America. I mean, my grandmother made it to America before my dad was born. He was born in Philadelphia. But he has five sisters who were, I never met, of course, who were buried in Ukraine. They all died as children because of the horrible conditions that uh, applied there right after the Russian Revolution. And um, it's, uh, it's it, history, uh, Faulkner says, uh, history isn't dead. It's not even past. Uh, speaking of which, making history, this is what uh, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, uh, said on CNN, uh, speaking to Jake Tapper. Uh, this is clip 10A. We cannot perfectly predict the day, but we have now been saying for some time that we are in the window and an invasion could begin, a major military action could begin by Russia in Ukraine any day now. That includes this coming week before the end of the Olympics. Of course, it could take place after the end of the Olympics, or it is still possible, we believe, uh, that Russia could choose the diplomatic path. But the way they have built up their forces, the way they have maneuvered things in place, makes it a distinct possibility that there will be major military action very soon. And we are prepared to continue to work on diplomacy, but we are also prepared to respond in a united and decisive way with our allies and partners should Russia proceed. Now, what exactly that response means, uh, no one knows for certain. Meanwhile, another military confrontation averted, apparently, much closer to home. There was talk by Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada to actually bring out the uh, Canadian Army, which, um, which is not an insubstantial force. Uh, and uh, to bring out the army to deal with the truckers and the disruptions at the bridge between Windsor, Ontario and uh, Detroit, Michigan, and also to uh, uh, bring out the military force to try to restore order to the capital. Uh, there's also now a another, it's not quite a convoy of truckers, but it is another occupation of a national capital in New Zealand, which is truly bizarre and they have actually developed a weapon to use against those demonstrators that is fearsome. I don't think it's a weapon that's ever been used in a confrontation situation before. We will get to that and much more on a busy day, the beginning of a perhaps fateful week for this greatest nation on God's green earth.